It is uh, good to be here and uh, excited about this. I'm going to move this if that's okay. All right. Uh, it has been an interesting journey for me to uh, go from church ministry for 21 years to being a principal in a high school. I often tell people that uh, I flunked and I went back to high school, and uh, that's somewhat what it feels like uh, when I was in the principal's office often. It was because I was in trouble, and so I deserved to be there, and I guess maybe I have a, a good idea of what it's like to be the kid that's in trouble. One of my, my desires, though, as a principal is not to uh, be the guy who's always getting people in trouble, but really my heart is more of that of a shepherd. Uh, just like I do with my own sons and my own children, um, I, I play with them, I wrestle with them, I have a good time with them, um, and when I have to, I discipline them, and to whatever degree is necessary to get a change in the direction that they're going, and, and that is hopefully my heart there. Uh, my wife and I have been involved in marriage ministry uh, pretty personally probably for the last 15, 16 years, as uh, we have mostly done it in the setting of a small group and uh, very little preaching and talking about it. Uh, I can tell you a lot of things about marriage. You know a lot more than probably I know about marriage. The difference is whether or not you're going to do what you know, and so that's one of the difficulties and in a small group setting. Uh, we enjoy that opportunity to really uh, get an op a chance to really challenge you to live out the truths that we know from God's Word. It's very interesting that uh, uh, I'm speaking this weekend. Uh, last week, my parents made the newspaper in Colorado Springs. Front page, big old picture of mom and dad. Never would have dreamed my mom and dad would end up In the paper. Maybe my dad in an orange jumpsuit, but I would have never imagined that the two of them would end up in the newspaper on Valentine's Day. Because, see, that wasn't the marriage they had when I was a kid. It was a very tur turbulent marriage. It was a, a marriage that was full of conflict. Uh, lots of unpleasant words being sent back and forth. Uh, I can remember things being slammed and doors slammed and cabinets slammed and literally things thrown at each other. I think that uh, there's two reasons why they never divorced. One was my dad was stubborn enough that he said, if you want to leave, there's the door, because he wasn't leaving. And the other reason was because my mom read God's word and was convinced that she was not to divorce my father. Fifty-six years later, there they are in the newspaper talking about how do you make a marriage last that long. Now, it's actually kind of funny, since you don't know my parents. <clears throat> my mom has this big smile on her face. My dad is sitting right next to him with that same frown. You know, like he just, you know, swallowed prunes or something. I mean, he was not uh, excited at all to be there and, and to put his picture in there. But the transformation that has taken place in their marriage is phenomenal. And I believe primarily because my mother understood that one of God's plans was to change her and grow her regardless of whatever God did with my dad. That God was interested in taking that marriage, which was not fun, was not good, was not help helpful, and to allow God to use that as an instrument in her life to make her completely dependent upon him and to seek him in all things. I believe that somewhere, probably at the end of my college years, my dad probably trusted Christ for his salvation, came, came to that knowledge and, and began to live out of that. But you know what? 
it's not a great marriage even today. I was just back this summer, and, and I won't go through the story, but I was sitting there, standing there in their front yard helping them, and I was appalled by my dad's behavior. So even 56 years later, my dad hasn't arrived, and I'm sure my mom hasn't arrived in that marriage relationship. But I believe that God honored her obedience to his word, which was to stay and allow the struggles and the difficulties to be that which would change her and grow her as she stood in obedience to God's word. See, I see, I, I see a, a trend happening. There's actually two trends that are happening today. And one is that uh, people aren't getting married because they already have the benefits of marriage. And so we're choosing not to enter into a marriage relationship because we've got friends with benefits. And unfortunately, in some sick way, with friends with benefits goes any direction you wanted to go with that. And the other concern I see, and I see even in my own children, actually in my sons, this influence of the world of, of our, even in the church today, that I don't want to enter into the marriage relationship because I might have to change. I might have to grow. I might have to grow up. I might face some things that are difficult and hard, and I don't want to go there. I don't, I don't want to have to change. I don't want to have to mature. I don't want to have to give up my selfish ways. And, and I hear that. It's very pervasive in society today. We only want a marriage if it's easy. We only want a marriage if it's what makes me happy. And that really concerns me. That we have this group of young people who are viewing marriage from a very worldly point of view, from a very selfish point of view. And I see from God's Word that it's one of God's primary ways that He wants to help us grow up. Marriage has made a huge difference in my life. The other part of that is having children. See, I, I knew I was a selfish person, but it was when my first child was born that I knew that I was very selfish and self-centered. Because I went from my thought of being the center of attention to that baby being the center of attention. And, and rightfully so. That child needed Debbie's attention and Debbie's effort and work and ministry there. But it confronted something in me, my own selfishness. And so I, I'm concerned about that as we see that. I think over the last uh, several years, with some of the, the passage that we're looking at this morning uh, and it really was not a, an issue of how it was interpreted in the last 50 or 60 years ago. But today... I'm going to talk about this passage, and some of you may disagree with what I'm going to say. And that's okay. Just don't turn me off. Don't turn God's word off. Because some of you, this may be offensive, what I'm going to say today. As a matter of fact, I will tell you as we go through this message how the wrong interpretation of this passage has impacted my own family, my own marriage. Because as we look at it, it's not an easy passage. And so I just encourage you to not turn your brains off, but engage the text with your mind and with God's truth. Because it's a very interesting text as we look at it um, in, in this. and You know, it's a very common passage. There's probably not a whole lot I can say about this. By the way, I, I love the fact that many of you study God's Word, then you come together and you discuss it in a group setting, and then you hear it taught. I love that pattern because it's God's Word that impacts. It's God's Word that changes lives. And so we start off there in, in uh, Ephesians 5.22, and it says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands. It's a command there. It's in, in the imperative. It says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Now, the, the word subject isn't right there in verse 22. It's implied. It's placed down uh, from the Greek text. It's placed in there. 
And, and in our English, we've placed it there, but it's, it's taking it from the context that's there. And that word there has the idea of subjecting oneself or placing oneself self under another. It's, it's under and in an orderly fashion. It carries the implication of a voluntary yieldness to a recognized authority. Just to say subjection or submission in our culture today is rejected. And we're, reje- we're seeing that in, in being rejected even more each day. But here I believe what Paul is saying that it's a divine calling to honor and affirm your husband's leadership. To honor and affirm that. It, it has nothing to say about her will, her value, her dignity. But it's, but it's her disposition of recognizing and bringing herself willingly underneath the leadership of her husband. We know that it's uh, used several times. Colossians 3.18 says, Wives, be subject to your husbands. 1 Peter 3.3 3 says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Titus 2.5 says, uh, uh, Be subject to your own husbands. And yet it's a very difficult text as we look at that, but it's really clear that the command is to subject yourself to your husband, to bring yourself underneath his leadership. That sounds good as long as the marriage is going well, right? You know, it's interesting, and I'm going to talk a lot about my parents' marriage because I think it's significant in the fact that it's not been an easy marriage from the woman's point of view. It's not been a husband who was leading well and it was easy to follow. It was a husband who wasn't very godly and a husband who wasn't going after the things of the Lord and a husband who was mean and cruel. By today's standards, she would divorce him because uh, of verbal abuse for fear of reprisal. And, and so, you know, in this picture here of willingly placing themselves underneath this husband who isn't leading and directing. Next we see that it's a pattern. The pattern here is, is as unto the Lord. The woman submits out of reverence to Christ. It's her understanding that, that, that not only am I submitting to my husband, but I'm actually submitting to my, my Lord in that. It's, a, it's really it's a picture of absolute dependence upon Christ. A willingness to say that this is what God's Word says, and I'm willing to do what He says and live that out. It's a woman who understands that it's the Lord who qualifies the authority of the husband. It's the Lord who has placed it, this system in here. You know, it's interesting as you look at Genesis 3.16. Genesis 3.16 says this. Uh, it's part of the, the, the curse after the fall. And the Lord is speaking and he says, I will greatly multiply your pain in, child, uh, your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. It's an interesting passage there because it, when, when, when he's talking about this desire that you'll have for your husband, it's in the context of the curse. So if it's in the part of the curse, it can't be something good. And here, he's not talking about the emotional desire that you'd have for your husband, but that the desire here has the idea that I will want to control or master him. And you see a setup for a conflict that's already guaranteed right there at the curse. And, and, and where I take that from is if you go to Genesis 4-6, you see that word used again, and the Lord is talking to Cain, and he says, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted? 
And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire, sin's desire, is for you. But you must master it. It's the same word that, that is used there, that, that word desire. And it's the idea of having control or master over. And there's this fundamental struggle that we enter into just because of the curse into a marriage relationship. And it's a desire for who's going to master and who's going to be in control. Whose way is it going to be? Who's going to win? And it's already built in because of the curse and part of the fall. Third, we see the reasoning here. It's God's order. God said that the head of the woman, uh, the husband is the head of the wife. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is, the church is subject to Christ. He's saying here that the picture here, is, as we look at that, is that the husband is to be the head of the wife. We'll talk about that next week. I was standing in the back and I was amazed at how many men are in here. I almost thought, I need to change the sermon right now. There are so many men in here. And I'm thrilled to see you here because the enemy has taken so many men out that aren't, aren't under God's Word. They're not a part of a body where they're being taught, where they're uh, being challenged in God's Word. But here he says there's a created order here. There's a plan that God has created. It's not a new idea. Submission's not a new idea. It's throughout Scripture. He talks that there's children to parents. Children are to submit to parents. I think we're forgetting that one today. I see I work in an environment. I have to plug Austin's ears every once in a while because he's over at the school. But I see I'm working in an environment where the kids are now in control and the parents are submitting to the kids. Whatever you want, son. Whatever you want, daughter. I'll just give you as much as I can possibly give you. But this idea here in Scripture is clear that children are to submit to the parents. The parents are supposed to be in charge. They're the authority. They're the ones that are responsible. We see later in Scripture that slaves are to submit to masters. That the church is to submit to Christ. That believers within the body of Christ are to submit to the leaders. Believers are to submit to God. Citizens are to submit to the government. This is not a new concept. And yet, we see it challenged today. It's part of God's created order. The extent we find in verse 24, and he says, in everything. Submit in everything. Paul is not suggesting that a wife would follow her husband into sin, but, it, but it's not limited to what she likes or dislikes. It isn't limited to the way she wants it to be or doesn't want it to be. It isn't limited to whether she agrees or doesn't agree. I'm not suggesting that the husband should be uh, leading in such a way that he totally dictates everything that occurs. In my marriage relationship, the wisdom sits right over there. The godliness sits right over there. This one who knows Scripture sits right over there, far beyond me. You know what my tendency is as a male? Is to resist that. It's a competition. It's It's intimidating. But my great wisdom sits over there. And when I make decisions apart from that, it doesn't look very good. It doesn't work out very well. God's given her to me as that resource. But in that relationship, God has placed me as the leader, as the head of the home, and has called my wife to willingly choose to place herself under my leadership. There's a lot of misconceptions around this whole idea of uh, the nature of submission. We've already talked about the fact that that the wife is not called to, to be led into sin. But it also doesn't suppose that there's some superiority in the man. 
some greater value in the man or that the woman is inferior. Submission here is, is in, in, the, in this sense, it doesn't mean that the wife has given up all freedom, that, that she uh, somehow is not independent in her own thinking, in her own mind, in her own life. It's an issue of when it comes to the things in the home, is that woman willingly placing herself underneath the leadership of that husband. It doesn't mean that she can't speak or give ideas uh, to bring God's Word to bear. It has a whole lot to do with attitude. But there's a controversy, there's a challenge to this text. One of those is just the emotional reaction that we see today, mostly from women, as we talk about this whole idea of, of placing oneself underneath the leadership of the husband. I think a lot of that has to do with the feminist movement. That there's been such a drive in, in this movement that we've taken some of the things that needed to happen in our society and we've moved them over into Scripture. And now that becomes the lens for how we interpret Scripture. Yeah, there's, there's some fear. There, there's this, this fear of, of uh, male domination, the loss of personality or the loss of value and worth, or did I become just a doormat, or even leads to abuse. But I think that when we understand this, pa- this, this passage, when we understand this subject, in light of the context of the rest of the passage, God has an idea and a plan here that is significant that removes those fears. When, when, we, when we see a man who is lovingly leading his spouse. You know, it's interesting as, we, as, as you talk about this issue of, of a wife submitting to her husband, <clears throat> you get all kinds of objections to it. You know, I have a question, and I think I can say this in here, is where are the feminists when it comes to the Muslims? You talk about a, a, a group that, that uh, does everything that we're afraid of to women, and yet you never hear the Muslims or the feminists speak up against the Muslims. See, Christianity, God's way of doing things, doesn't look like the way their faith works out. Women are not property. They're partners. They're not devalued. They're valued. They're highly valued. But God calls for a leadership, a structure that would cause them, uh, the family to be led. This, in, this, this whole debate is uh, centered around uh, Ephesians 5.21. Ephesians 5.21 says this, and, uh, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And so oftentimes as we're looking at this and we're, and, and we're studying this and, and some of the, the modern response to this whole issue has come from this passage right here. And how do I interpret 21 and how does it fit with 22 and following? And, and, and so here we see the, the, the modern view that has been pushed here is that husbands do not have authority over their wife. They do not have this responsibility to lead because they are to mutually submit to one another. And I want you to know that I have taught that to couples. That you're to mutually submit to one another. What does that really mean, that you're to mutually submit to one another? The, 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 the idea here has been taught is that there's no hierarchy. That, that uh, wives are to subject to their husbands, and husbands are to be subject to their wives. That, 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 that relationship here... Uh, 
there's almost a mentality today that uh, I'll be subject to my husband when he's subject to me. And, and, and that battle that's there, and, and I have a couple of problems with it. First of all, nowhere in Scripture does is the husband commanded to submit to his wife. Nowhere in Scripture. I haven't found it yet. So that one exception in 521, which isn't even an exception, as I understand that passage, isn't even talking about wives and husbands. He's talking about in the body of Christ and the way that we respond to each other. Submission is a clear teaching throughout Scripture. In numerous contexts, we've already talked about those. A child to his parents, believers to the leaders, the citizens to its government. I believe that Christ modeled a life of submission. Several different quotes from passages of Scripture here where, where Christ declares his submission to his Father. He says, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. You see there, at one of the most difficult times in the life of Christ is he's getting ready to face his execution. And he's praying and he's requesting to his Father, Father, if this cup can be taken from me, I ask that you would do that. But if not, I submit. I bring myself under your leadership, underneath your plan. Another passage of Scripture, he says, I do nothing of my own initiation. Nothing on my own initiative. The Son can do nothing of himself. Jesus also says, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. It's a biblical picture. It's a biblical pattern that the Lord has set up and even modeled in is that life of being willing to place myself under the authority and leadership of another. You know, it doesn't make much sense to me. You know, if you were to take this, this mentality of mutual submission into the military world, what would that look like? In the military world, the, the one in charge, the commander says, go take that hill. He understands that many may be killed on the process of doing that. But if we were to apply mutual submission to the military, the commander says, go take that hill. And those under him go, well, sir, we don't think we should do that, and somebody might die, and we're not going to do that right now. And okay, well, I like your idea better. Let's just not do it. It doesn't make any sense to us. Because there has to be leadership. I'm concerned when we take this view that of mutual submission and the ultimate impact that has on a home. See, I think that that just becomes another ploy for the enemy to keep you men from leading, from lovingly leading your spouse. See, if it's not my job to lead and we have to mutually submit, then maybe it's her job to lead. And the things that I don't really like to do but are important to her, like, you know, pursuing my relationship with Christ and having the kids in church and leading in, in prayer and, you know, the spiritual thing, I'll just pass those off to my wife. It's not a good thing. And I think it's part of what the enemy has already taken advantage of back in, in Genesis 3 is where was Adam at the fall? Where was Adam when, he was, when Eve was eating the fruit? He was right there because she took it and gave it to him to eat. And this is just a ploy, I believe, by the enemy to get us 
to continue to abdicate our role as men, as leaders of the home. Many of you have heard of the book, Husbands Who Won't Lead and Wives Who Won't Let Them. can't tell you how many couples I've sat in my office and counseled with and as they're struggling in their marriage relationship. And the wife is insistent that the husband just won't lead. The husband won't do what he's supposed to do. The husband won't. The husband won't. And when I talk to the husband, he'll tell me, well, I tried to do this, but I didn't do it the right way, so I quit doing it. You know, there's a picture here that it's a Genesis 3.16 thing again, is that husbands won't lead and wives won't let them lead because you won't lead the way that I think you need to lead. I tie this back to my mom. My father did not spiritually lead my home. And yet my mom willingly submitted herself to whatever leadership was there. And believe me, it was pretty small. The positive things I would say about my dad is that at least he always worked. I can remember days when, when I, we'd get up in the morning and our front porch would be covered with, with brown bags of groceries because my dad couldn't make enough money for us to make it through the week. But one thing he always did is he got out of bed and he went to work. That was his, about the sum total of his leadership in my life. But I saw my mom willingly place himself, herself underneath his leadership. Now because she, he abdicated a lot of the role of leadership, he allowed her to do things. He allowed her to be involved in church and to study God's Word and later in life teach God's Word. But it wasn't because he was leading. It was because he was abdicating that role to her. There's such a fear that if I let him lead, something bad's going to happen. He won't do it the way that I want it to be done. And so I wrestle back and take leadership. So what does biblical leadership look like? Uh, biblical submission look like? Turn with me. Well, just turn down to the, the bottom of uh, the page in uh, Ephesians 5, 33. I'm going to hit two, two different passages here real quick. I can see I'm out of time. I think this is the most important part of what I have to say, so hang in there with me. Ephesians 5.33 says, Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. That passage there, I don't believe, is a suggestion. But it is actually a command. Wives, respect your husbands. It's not conditional. And as we'll find out next week and as you study the rest of Ephesians 5, the, the love of a husband for a wife is not conditional. It's not based upon her being loving or lovable. It's based on the fact that God has commanded you to love her regardless. And here, Paul is talking and saying that respect is a command. That you are to treat your husband with respect regardless if he's respectable. It has to do with your attitude, your actions towards him, the way that you treat him, the way that you live with him, is to live with him in a respectful way. I believe it's possible to treat somebody respectfully without respecting them. And, and, and the husband doesn't have to earn that respect. But here, one of the ways that we 
live out that submission is to treat them in a respectful way. Another passage of Scripture I want to look at is Ephesians, uh, is 1 Peter 3, 1 through 5. Just take a minute and turn there, and we want to look at that passage. First Peter 3, 1. And I think here, Peter gives us several different things that we can look at as ways that we can live in submission to our spouses, to our husbands. Verse 1 says, In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, they be one without word, but by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely ex- external, braided, the braided, braiding of hair, the wearing of gold jewelry, the putting on of dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable qualities of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. You know, if, I think the first one there, the, the, as we look at what biblical submission looks like, we find an example from Christ. And actually he says they're in the same way. This isn't, I didn't discover this on my own. That's actually from my wife who discovered this and shared this with me. But he says in the same way. In the same way as what? We'll just go back up a couple more verses and you see in the same way as what? It's talking about Christ. He says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committing no sin, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to the one who judges righteously. Biblical submission looks like Christ. Submitting, entrusting, while submitting, entrusting himself to the one who judges rightly, righteously. I think the second thing is that it looks like living redemptively with your husband. Redemptive living looks like that there's a heart and an attitude in, in, in you that says that God is a God about redeeming. He's about redeeming me and he's about redeeming you. He's about changing our lives. It's, a, it's an attitude of redemption that says that I'm going to capture what is good and what's valuable. It's a matter of focusing on what God's going to provide in that relationship. Living redemptively has the idea of living abundantly. The dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And it's interesting now in this passage that he goes on and he says, but it's not with what you say, but it actually is with your behavior. It's not what I say that I'm going to redeem with, but I'm going to live in a redeeming way by the way that I actually live. In verse 4 he goes on and he says, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. I believe that God wants to take that marriage relationship and for you women, wants to use as an instrument to grow you and to change you and to mold you into who He's calling you to be. I don't know too many times that God has really grown me through when things are going perfect. He usually uses, puts some pressure on that grows me. And I think this is one of those times here that he wants to reveal that which is already in us. That that hidden heart that is there. He wants to manifest his life in us. In Ephesians 5.18, he talks about the idea of being filled with the Spirit. Being controlled by the Spirit. He wants to manifest that in us. 
I'd also say that if you are wanting to be a godly woman, a woman who is submitting to her husband and you're struggling with that, find other godly women who are doing that. Ask them to help you. Ask them to pray with you. My mother has literally had young women walk out of the room because they're not willing to listen to this message. Not willing. Submission isn't for them because they've been so influenced by the world. So I believe that God intends for your marriage to be an instrument of sanctification. And He wants to use it to bring you to the end of yourself, to the end of your methods of getting your needs met, of, of living life. He wants to use it to reveal your sin, your rebellious heart, your dishonoring ways. And he wants to allow you to struggle and suffer and to bring you to your knees so that you will look to Him as being the only source and the only means by which I can live out God's Word. Let's pray. Father, I thank You that Your Word is true. And Father, even though our world has so twisted the truth, Father, it has so impacted the church that we've bought into a lie. Father, I pray for homes where we live out of the truth of Your Word. Where wives willingly choose to bring themselves under the leadership of their husbands while they entrust themselves to You. And Father, I pray that uh, as we study again this week Your Word, in the importance of the role of the man, of the husband, that you would illuminate our minds and that you would change our hearts. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.